Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball and the Coach's Edge, and I'm fired up about today. We're talking about building a championship culture with IMG Academies. Jeremy Schiller, you may remember him for being on a previous episode. Coach Schiller, thanks for being back on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm you know excited to dive into this piece of you know what we kind of touched on when we were talking about program, but really diving in and developing culture is probably one of my favorite topics when it comes to uh, talking about basketball and building teams. So I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we've, uh, we've gained quite a few new listeners since you were last on the show, even though it really wasn't that, wasn't that long ago. So, so our listeners that are here, make sure you go back and listen to uh, coach Schiller's first interview. Uh, But for those that haven't heard you speak before, could you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, uh, coach said Jeremy Schiller, uh, currently I'm at IMG as the varsity head coach of our IMG blue team, which is a team just below our national team. Uh, you know, we're fortunate IMG. We basically have, you know, four national level teams. Uh, so like the team I coached has the tallest teenager in the world on it. Uh, he's now seven, seven, uh, he's seven, six and a half. He doesn't like to claim seven, seven, but he's seven, six and a half without shoes on. Uh, our, our uh, third leading scorer signed with Michigan State on a full scholarship. So really high level team I get to, you know, I get fortunate enough to work with. Um, prior to that, I uh, was 10 years at Lake Branch High School where we went to two final fours in Florida's second largest classification. Um, you know, and then before that, uh, Division II school, Eckerd College, um, and also spent some time at USF as a graduate assistant. So that's kind of my journey. I finished my 22nd year coaching, which is hard to believe, but. Awesome. Over two, over two decades in the, in the coaching business. That's a, that's a long time in uh, coaching years. It's like dog years or something like that. It means you've been coached for like a hundred, hundred years or something like that. Um, Some days it feels like that. Most days it doesn't, but. (laughs) (laughs) Some days fly by, some days do not. That is for sure. So as we talk about our topic today, building a championship culture, first and foremost, what comes to your mind when you think of championship culture? You know, I think the biggest thing is a big concept of everyone rowing in the same direction. So we talked about that a little bit in the program building about all the stakeholders. But, you know, I think the number one job is to make sure that when we're building our culture, that we find a way to consistently get everyone to go in the same direction to maximize their potential. You know, and I think that's, you know, that's what our job is as coaches is to develop that culture where success is people focusing on the best that they're capable of, um, and really trying to create a culture where it rolls over year after year, even as the pieces and the personnel change, uh, you know, so if you, you know, there's a big difference between having a singular team that's really good and really connected and having a consistent culture that transitions year after year, no matter who's wearing the Jersey into meeting the same standards. So, you know, that's what championship culture to me isn't necessarily about championships. You know, I think that's a byproduct. I think it's about your day to day building an environment where everybody's rowing in the same directions. So, you know, a lot of this podcast interview, you're going to talk about the decade of experience at, at Lakewood Ranch and obviously some of the things you picked up throughout your coaching career, but culture isn't built in a day, right? It's built, it's built over time. Tell us a little bit about the beginning, how you go about developing a foundation for a championship culture. Yeah, you know, I think the first part is understanding that the decisions we make and the standards we set can't be about the singular year or the success of this particular team has to be with a mindset of I'm building this for 30 years. So I, 
I think that helps guide your decision so you don't adjust or bend on things. Uh, you create standards and you meet those standards. Um, you know, part of that process is figuring out what is what's been laid before you and then trying to figure out, okay, these are going to be our standards and expectations. And I think those are a little bit defined by who each coach is. You know, obviously we have some consistent ones, you know, whether that's commitment or, you know, it's year round basketball or how we're going to communicate with each other. But I think you've got to first create a foundation that you recognize is going to last for 30 years and not just one year with this particular team. How do you go about communicating those standards and how you're going to continue to build that to your coaching staff, to your players, to your parents? You know, I think the first thing is making them clear cut and defined, you know, uh, making making it easy to understand. Uh, and then I think it's about consistency. You know, I think every day we have to live what our standards are. You know, one of my favorite quotes and I always mess it up, but it's from John Wooden. And essentially is it's not it's not all the books on all the shelves. It's who the teachers are themselves. And I think who we are on a daily basis and the expectations of my coaching staff and the players has to be an everyday accountability to the culture that we've built. You know, it can't be one day we're doing it, one day we're not. It has to be all the time. And, and as the leader, have to literally live the culture and expectations that we have for the players and, and my coaches. I love that. Not sacrificing the, the short-term for the long-term growth that we want to have down the road. We had another uh, former Division One coach on the podcast recently, and he talked about even from the – the micro of a single practice and a single practice and a single game and saying, you know what, there's something that we could do to get a little farther along in this practice or this game, but being disciplined enough not to do it because you know what's going to give you the most success down the road and you got to stick to those things. I just, I just think building a culture is the exact same way. So as you start to build this foundation, and you communicate that to your parents, to your players, to your coaching staff, what's the next step in that process? So I think, I, I think when you're establishing it for you as a coach, you have to understand your why, like, why do I do what I do? Cause that's going to help me formulate what my standards and my expectations are going to be. You know, for me, my understanding of my, my why uh, was that I love maximizing the potential of large groups. I love building long-term relationships and then obviously my competitive spirit. So knowing that those are my whys, then I can build our standards and expectation related to that. Uh, then the next part of it is establishing standards um, where we all agree. You know, one of the things I think is really important each year is you have to have pillar standards of things that we're always going to do. And then you've got to have the team get invested on building the standards. So year to year, we would literally meet with our returning players and we'd say, all right, guys, what are going to be our standards and expectations that we're all going to agree on? You know, some of them floated from year to year because, hey, this, you're a Lakeland Ranch basketball player. This is what you do. And some of them kind of changed and adjusted. And we would literally have a meeting. And one of the values of having the team involved on the establishing the standards and expectations of, you know, built around the, the bigger picture of your culture is it has them allows them to be invested in the process. Once they're invested in the process, they take more ownership. And then it's like, if you're, if you're not meeting those standards that you help develop, the question would then be like, well, if you, if you guys did it, why, why wouldn't we meet that expectation? That's not my expectation. It's our expectation. 
allows them to take more ownership, which means they're going to be more invested. And one of the big picture things related to culture is it has to be changing. You have to have standards and expectations, but it has to flow within each of the teams related to those standards. So, you know, one team, you know, may have a viewpoint of we're going to be 15 minutes early and another may say 20 minutes early, whatever their term is, but we still got to end up being early or on time to get ready. Um, and I think as they establish those and are involved in those standards, it makes it that they're not um, being a guest in it, that their their daily participation means that they're a part of it. You know, they're they're the next stage as that culture continues to build and grow. And I think it's important to get the players and the and obviously my staff and coaches involved as well. No doubt. I think if you're going to if you're going to really build a strong culture, your players need to feel ownership in that program. And uh, you're giving that to your players. You talk a little bit about the difference between standards and rules. And I think that's a great thing to communicate with your kids. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So like the way I look at it for me and everybody's going to define their things different. I feel like with rules, you have designed accountability. So for example, the rule is you got to be 15 minutes early or you run a mile as opposed to having a standard of we're going to be early on time and ready to go. And the, and the difference is, by having a standard instead of a rule, as a leader, I can decide what the decision is when someone doesn't meet that standard. And I'm comfortable as a leader making those decisions. So I don't want a kid saying, well, the rule says if I miss, I run a mile. Well, the reality is if I miss practice, I'm, I'm you know, maybe off the team if that's the right decision. Or the decision might be, hey, it's the first time you missed in four years. We're going to move on. You're, you're, gonna, you're not going to do that again. We're going to move on and we'll deal with it that way. I think when you box yourself into rules, it eliminates your ability to be a leader and adjust based on what you need. So like I'm a very black and white person, but the reality is you got to have some gray area because you're dealing with different people who have different things going on. And the way I always say it is if I'm going to bend or adjust on one of my negotiables or what we are, what we're deciding to do, I have to be able to look the entire team in the face and say, it. and it can't be because of their talent. It has to be because of their effort and commitment to the program. Or it just has to be what, you know, I believe is the right thing. Um, and I'm comfortable doing that. And, and often I'll even explain it to the guys in that way, meaning bringing them all together and saying, hey, so-and-so missed this. They've literally been to 185 practices in a row, correct? You know, this is what I believe is right. Does anybody, you know, feel different? You know, if we, if you, you know, you might have someone that says, coach, I missed last week and I got in big trouble. You know, maybe we need to talk about it. So I think by involving them in it and not having just a steadfast rule, the other part of it is, let's say the rule is you miss a practice, you're off the team. Well, let's say a kid misses because, you know, something really tragic happens in their family. Well, if the rule is the rule, you got to follow through. You have to be consistent in what your accountability is. That's why I'd rather have standards where I can adjust to what the accountability is based on what's right, as opposed to a rule where I'm boxed in and have to make that, you know, I have to stick by and be consistent to that. Mm -hmm. 100%. And having some of those conversations with your kids individually and as a group, as you've done, is goes a really long way, I think, in building the trust and the equity and the feeling of ownership among your players, because again, I mean, I've already said it, but I think to really build a championship type culture, if your kids don't feel ownership over that, they can feel almost more like a employee, right? Coach is the boss. We're coming in and punching the clock for him or her, right? You don't really get that culture that can continue to build and develop well after those kids have graduated and moved on. Tell us a little bit more about how your communication builds into 
this culture? I mean, I, I'm looking at something that you sent me. I mean, you have something with a, a positive sandwich, the we not I, uh, awareness, visualization, a handful of other key concepts for intentional communication. What are a few of those that stick out to you? So I think, and that's funny, I didn't realize I wrote myself a note saying that was the next thing I was going to say. So I think a big part of it is what you said about making sure that they feel invested. So one of the first things I get rid of is I, you know, it's never, you don't, you don't rebound for me as the coach, you rebound for us. Uh, you don't dive on the ground for me. I don't need you to rebound. We need you to rebound or we need you to dive on the ground. And I think that changing of terminology from I to we immediately shows investment because when they make a mistake, they're not letting me down. That's easy to do at some coach who cares, but I'm letting us down or we have to do something because of that. The next thing is communicating trust that I think is really important. And something I developed you know, over the last few years is saying, instead of saying, if you want to win, you know, we, we work from when we're doing our goal setting, we, we know that they want to win. So because we know you want to win, you need to box out. It sounds little, but the reality is if is creating kind of a, a possibility that they don't want to, when we already agreed that they do, they just made a mistake. So always communicating trust of, I know you want to win. I know you want to be a great player. These are the things you have to do instead of if you want to be a good player. We've already agreed that you want to be a good player. So there's no reason for me to say if I'm, I'm communicating trust. Um, some of the other things related to like what I call intentional communication is I always want my first interaction to be like a hello or a hi. I know that sounds silly, but like the first thing is when they're walking into practice, I greet every player uh, while I'm sweeping the floor. So I think that's another intentional communication of, we don't want anyone to be above doing anything. So as the head coach, I swept the floor every day. Uh, at IMG, it's different. Those are already done for us. But at Lakewood Ranch, at a traditional high school, I purposely swept the floor, even though I had assistants and people that would do it for me, because I wanted to communicate to our guys like no one's you know above anything else. You know, I think there's another part where you show investment, and especially when you talk about younger parents and younger players is we would do a lot of future planning. And I touched on this in program building, but I think it's important when you're, when you're doing intentional communication related to your culture. One of the reasons kids get upset is they don't know that there's a plan. They don't know that, okay, right now I'm playing six minutes a game, you know, but coach really thinks I could play 20 minutes a game at some point. Well, to me, I want to constantly communicate with them how they're doing now and what they need to do to prepare to reach their goals in the future and spending time making sure that I understand those goals is really a huge part of culture because each person is super valued in that. Um, and then we do a lot of visualization or did. And, you know, one of the things is the culture is going to last year to year. That investment needs to be year to year. We had a player uh, whose younger brother actually had a major back injury and had to have surgery. And uh, while he was, going through the process i i packaged up a lakewood ranch mustang jersey and i put it in a uh you know a bag and and because he couldn't move at the time he was stuck in his house and put a little note just said hey when you're you know when you're healthy i can't wait to see you wearing this jersey to kind of help him get through that at the time it was really just to be invested in the family fast forward five years later he's our starting point guard on a state runner-up team at the time i didn't know he was if he was ever going to play again, but we want to create the visualization for him. And, you know, I think that being able to look beyond the immediate in front of you is a huge part of culture building because people see you're invested beyond the immediate team or exactly what's going on, in, you know, in front of you. Um, and then the other part is getting that investment, not only from your players, but your very invested players. You know, I think pulling those guys aside and letting them know that their opinions and their thoughts are important. And then when you're not going to do what they they think is a good idea, spending time showing them, okay, hey, this was your idea. Here's why we can't do it. 
and you got to trust me as a coach. This is why we can't do it. I think often we sometimes like check a box of getting feedback from people and we decide not to do something because it's not the right answer. Well, you know, it's okay to do that. I mean, that's our job as coaches, but we've got to step back and go back to those players and say, Hey, this is why we didn't. Um, because that shows them that you're, it's a mutual sign of respect and communication. I, we value what you had to say. Here's why we can't do it. Or here's why I think this is better. We need you guys to trust us. And they usually will because you took the time as opposed to just ignoring whatever their thought, you know, or idea was, you know, to me, communication obviously can be very, you know, unintentional, organic, but I think as coaches, to build real culture, you have to have intentional communication in certain areas. I want to run back to, to one thing that you mentioned. You send a jersey out to a kid who breaks his back years and years before he eventually ends up being the point guard for a runner-up state championship team. And I just think that so many coaches out there, it's, it's easy for us to be so caught up in the moment, right? And if, if somebody gets hurt, something is years and years down the road that we can look at the immediate and lose sight of the big picture. So as a coach, your ability and your example in that specific situation to really do something that's, it's outside of basketball. It's bigger than the basketball. It's bigger than the game that in turn ended up dramatically affecting the game at a future date. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind in how we can positively interact with kids, with youth, with family members. And maybe that gesture doesn't lead up to a runner-up in a state championship, right? But it doesn't mean that that didn't matter. You're making a positive impact in those kids. They're certainly going to remember that forever beyond what we're doing in the game. It goes a really, it goes a really long way. With that said, there's plenty of things as a coach, whether you've been coaching for a year or 22 years, that can be problems, right? Talk a little bit about confronting a problem before it really comes to the forefront. Yeah, so I think, again, that goes to, like, personality-based. So, like, my personality is if I recognize that something's potentially bubbling up instead of waiting for things to be a problem, we're going to sit down and have honest communication. You know, obviously, most of those end up being one-on-one -on -one situations, um, but if it's a team related or anything else, you know, I, I think you've got to face problems head on. I think you have to communicate unemotionally about what's going on. You've got to find times to be able to address what you think you possibly see as an issue, you know, ahead of time, whether that's with parents, players, or anyone involved in the program to make sure that you're maintaining your culture. And you always have to make sure it comes back to whatever your standards or expectations are. A huge part of it is making sure that you're not emotionally upset at the time when you're addressing it. You know, I think often as coaches, we yell and scream in a practice and we think we addressed it. The reality is some of them probably tuned it out. My, you know, your reaction's poor. And, you know, one of the ways I've really connected with kids and this, I, my team this year, almost every single one of them said this was part of it is modeling the appropriate behavior. So if you've got kids that are having a bad attitude and not responding appropriately, like we've got to model the appropriate behavior. So this year I got all over uh, one of my kids during the game and it was loud and it was in front of everybody. My girlfriend, who was a division one track athlete and a head track coach pointed out to me, she's like, why are you yelling at him? Just take him out of the game. And I went back and watched the film and I was like, this was, this is really bad. Like, this is not how I want them commuting, communicating. This is not how I want to be communicating. And so the beginning of practice was me going, Hey guys, uh, I screwed that up. I messed that up. Uh, the same way I want them to be accountable, accountable. I'm going to do my best to make sure that doesn't happen. I've got an assistant coach that is now on full-time 
uh, watch to make sure he lets me know that I'm, if I'm acting like that, he's, you know, he's told to, you know, let me know. And so I think modeling the behaviors you want to see. So part of what prevents bubbling up bad things is what happens. You address it head on, but you also take the responsibility to address it head on when you are the problem. Cause often as coaches, we're blaming on the kids and we never sit there and take responsibility. Well, by taking responsibility for our actions, it helps them learn to do that for theirs. And that's where a lot of your problems come in. You know, I think another thing is, addressing things like selfishness and, and things like that have to be met at the beginning and all the time. So like part of the way we build our show, our culture is we have a shot selection rating um, that we all created at the beginning of the year. So like kids understand good shot, bad shot. Uh, you know, we had four kids in double figures on this year's team. Most of my teams at Lakewood ranch, I think our leading score we ever had was maybe 14 or 15 points a game. And everybody else was, you know, we had three or four other guys in double digits. So our unselfishness as a, as a, in our style of play and the things that we're going to sacrifice on offense and defense are going to be built off of what our culture is. So those expectations are going to be an all the time thing, not a some of the time thing, you know, and, you know, like other silly things, like we always want to be servant leaders. So like, uh, and I got this from my coach uh, at Eckerd, like the coaches always eat last. I know that sounds like so silly, but by nature, we're serving. I'm making sure all my kids have the food they need. And then at the end, the coaches eat. Uh, where every one of the kids I usually spend time with, they'd rather have the adults eat first and they want us. But the whole point is to create an image of we're serving them. So when we do have to address problems, they tend to listen more because we took the time to express when we, we made mistakes. Um, and then also just consistency of being a servant leader. So they know that you're there to help them be better in what's going on. So if we're addressing an issue, it's to help them. It's not about us. It's about, you know, it's about them. I love that. And being able to hold yourself accountable, not only personally, but putting yourself out there and saying, I want you right as an assistant coach and even, even the players, I want you guys to hold me accountable to our standards as a program. Right. You're in that as well is uh, is huge and a great way to build trust as you continue to coach teams year in and year out. Tell me a little bit specifically about some of the things that you have valued with your team. And then how you go about reinforcing throughout the course of the year, those things that you truly value. Like basketball or overall? So I'm like thinking, on the court or like overall? I think, um, you know, you, you sent me uh, in part of your document, you talked about toughness. You talked about being unselfish. You talked about, you know, pursuing loose balls and taking charges. And, you know, I think every coach has a, a handful of things to say, we truly value this. You know, some coaches are valuing getting back in defensive transition and they measure it with, you know, first three steps our first player, you know, we're going to, you know, more of us are going to cross half court first before on a consistent basis. What are some of those things that as other coach listening, we say, oh, that's one that I, I want to add now to, to my team and make that something that, hey, we really value that. And then how do you go about reinforcing that? Yeah, so I, I would say I probably don't do a great job reinventing the wheel on that one. I mean, we really value toughness, uh, which we have them define. So, like, we'll literally sit down and say, okay, we know what toughness is. And obviously, Coach uh, or Jay Billis's article is a great starting point. We have them all read it and we decide what our toughness is going to look like. You know, unselfishness, what does that look like? You know, shot selection. Uh, players making the right decision. We really, really value and play the kids that, you know, there's two guys on them and they throw it to the next person who's open. Um, and then great communicators and people that are very invested. So then, you know, how, when we value those things, what does that mean? That means the kids that play the most minutes are the kids that play the toughest. 
So are we going to have an elite scorer that doesn't play defense? Sure. But that means he's going to play less. And he's going to understand that, hey, you're really good at these things, but that's not what we're looking to value. I try to focus and make sure that the values we select are controllables so every kid can be successful in them. So like the things that I'll value, like stepping up and taking a charge, every single kid on our team can do. Pursuing loose balls, every single kid on our team could do. Had an assistant coach years ago at a high school, even before Lake Ranch, and said, Coach, he was shorter and a little heavier. He said, uh, Coach, I wish I had played for you in high school because, like, I could have been the best player on the team because I would play hard. I couldn't make a shot. I wasn't athletic. But, like, I could be valued because I go do these things. And I think what happens is if you incentivize being talented, bigger, stronger, faster, and athletic, and that's what you incentivize and that's what you reward, it actually makes it so nobody works hard because – the kids that aren't more talented than, than the talented kids don't have to work hard because they're never going to be more talented. The kids that are t- talented don't have to work hard because they're never going to be less talented than the others. And I think what you have to create is that you incentivize and you reinforce and you support things that are controllable that kids can work at and be better at. Um, you know, like, for example, our shot chart that uh, I – Took from UNC Asheville, uh, assistant coach Woody Taylor there played for me. He gave me some ideas. And then what I did is I had our guys get invested in the process. I'm big on getting the kids to have a voice in things uh, while I kind of guide them. But our shot selection was huge because it never didn't matter whether you made the shot or missed. You could make a shot that was a one, which was a best around the controllable, which was the shot selection. Well, by doing that, it's easier for kids to work hard and be invested because they're focused on their controllables. So as a coach, instead of me kind of saying what I would define as those things, I'd, I'd really make sure that it's controllable and that every kid on your team can be successful in it. You know, often I'll tell kids like, hey, you're not going to yell that because you can't dunk. Like, I don't give a crap. That's not a thing that matters. You're going to get you're going to be on the bench. or You're going to be dealing with issues if you don't rotate and take a charge or you don't box out and pursue a ball. They didn't even say get the ball. You just got to pursue it crazy. You know, and, and for me, I associate all those things with winning plays, which helps the team win, but also for them as they want to be recruited for college, even the elite talent guys, you've got to do things that translate to winning. I mean, I watch AAU games and other stuff, and I'm seeing kids take one-legged step-back threes and shots that are, you know, yeah, Steph Curry gets to do that, but, like, you're not Steph Curry. So trying to help them understand, like, that we're going to do winning plays on a consistent basis and it's going to be things that are controllable that every kid on the team can do at a high level and be rewarded for that. Absolutely love that. When you talk about some of these standards and you give them clear cut examples, you know, in this podcast of what that actually looks like, there's many times that a player can really differentiate themselves from the competition, even their teammates based on their mindset. Right. And you've talked about, growth mindset or a fixed mindset. What are some of the things that you try to instill with your players so they can build that growth mindset? And I I truly think that if if a kid has a growth mindset, part of having a growth mindset automatically comes more mental toughness, their ability to bounce back after something difficult happens, or maybe even they they make a mistake on the court or off the court. How do you go about communicating that and reinforcing that with your guys? So I think it's, I think it's on a daily basis. So next play theory is, I mean, I probably say it so much and surprise it's not tattooed on my forehead. Like, and, and if a kid allows himself to be stuck in the last play, 
there's going to be negative accountability, right? Like you're going to come out, you're going to, we're going to run, we're going to get that out of your system. You have to have the ability to stay. I use the term focused on winning and move on the next play, no matter what, you know, as you go through that process, every kid's journey and in, in, in strengthening their, their mindset on a day to day is different. Some kids pick it up really quick. Some kids need film. Some kids need negative reinforcement, but like, we're never going to accept you being so focused on the last play that impacts the next play. Like it just, it's never going to be acceptable. And it doesn't matter who you are. You know, we had a kid going to Michigan State who really had a phenomenal mindset related to being very mentally tough. But if if he wasn't getting it done and he was getting lost in a bad, you know, in bad miss, he's coming out too. It doesn't matter that he's our most talented player. That's just not, not how we're going to do things. So you have to be consistent in your accountability. I think it goes back to that level of communication we were talking about. You know, I think you have to be consistent. You have to make sure there's accountability. You have to have these standards. And then those standards have to be related to things like being strong-minded and tough, being focused on winning. Um, you know, for our kids, we want to value, if any kid ever asks for more film or more time, we want to value that. And always, like, I don't think a kid's ever asked me if I can get in the gym, the answer is always going to be yes. Like, we're always focused on how can we help them get better and then in turn for them, that allows them to feel that way. I think the next thing, and I, I know I go back to this a lot, but like we as coaches have to have mental toughness. So we're modeling it. If every time there's a bad play, we're yelling at an official, well, the kid's going to do that too. doesn't mean there's not a place where we have a discussion, but our ability to maintain our focus is going to dictate how they maintain their focus. And I think we have to model those behaviors and then hold them accountable when they don't meet those expectations, because that's what's best for them overall. If we could help all of our kids be super mentally tough and not be impacted by adversity, uh, that's going to help them long after that ball stops bouncing. You know, I think that's, that's probably the, you know, the biggest thing the kids who leave our program have traditionally been able to do is they're big time problem solvers. They just find the term I say a lot is just find a way to get it done. Sometimes I'm not going to give you the tools, just figure it out. And then their ability to bounce back from adversity and, and use it as an opportunity to grow. Cause it's always about how you frame it and how you communicate it. But again, it's, it's, it's like as coaches, you know, if we've got an injury or we're dealing with COVID or we're dealing with something, if that's all we talk about and all we focus in on the adversity and we're not coming up with a plan on how to get out of it, well, then that's what the kids are going to do because they're going to model themselves after how, what our actions are. I was telling our kids at our basketball camps today, I said, man, I want you guys to try to make mistakes. I want you to, to get in that zone of proximal development, right, for our educators listening, where you're just beyond that comfort zone. Things are extremely challenging. You're going to make some, make some mistakes. And the ability to, to do that and stay present within yourself, I think, is a, a great mindset to have. You know, I think of Kobe Bryant, I think of Michael Jordan and some of the biggest strengths that they had as athletes went beyond their physical talent and characteristics, but it was the ability to stay in the moment and learn from everything that has previously happened. You know, I told our, our kids today, another thing was mistakes are the fertilizer for you to learn and grow, right? And we're in a very rural farming community up here. So they, they all, that all hits right on the money. Right. And like the more mistakes you can make and the quicker we can learn from those mistakes, the better we can get. And not only the better we get, but we can get better at a faster rate because we're making those mistakes. We're learning from it. And then we're, and then we're moving on, which is something that I think is, is growth mindset 
it's mental toughness uh, for all of our athletes to continue to, to build, work on, as you mentioned, that's going to help them down the road as well. Uh, are there any other things? Well, Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say to build on that, I think that's where we have to create, you created a safe space with what you said. And like, I would often tell our guys, like, here's where we make mistakes in practice because when there's 2000 people in the stands, it's going to be a lot tougher. You're not going to want to do that. So like work on finishing with your outside hand and here's why, uh, or work on doing these different things and like know that you're in a safe space. And it sounds silly again, but it's, it is our responsibility. You know, like I'm a sarcastic person by nature. So I have to challenge myself not to make jokes in areas that are potentially going to impact them. You know, one of the things, even though they know I'm joking, you just don't want to create that. And one of the things I tell our guys is culturally right now, it's like, oh, you stink. I'm better than you, blah, blah, blah. And, and what I tell our kids is like, we're a family. So like, we're not going to say those negative things to each other about basketball, because if we've got a kid that's not a great shooter and we tell him every day, he's not a great shooter. What if we need him to make an open shot? Where's the value in saying those things? Instead, we want them to know that we believe in them, that if they work at it, that they can make that. And that if you want to joke about with their girlfriend or make fun of their haircut, I got no problem with that. But if we're going to talk about basketball, like we want to build each other up so we can all perform at a high level. So like that's one of those standards. Like we're not going to talk negative about each other's performance. Like and then, of course, I have to model that. Right. Like as a coach, I can say, hey, you didn't rotate for a blockout, but I can't say hey, you missed 15 threes. Don't take another one like. To me, that creates a whole negative mindset. Um, to me, it's like, are you taking the right 15 threes? And if you are, take another one. So creating that within your culture, I think, is really important. I use the term like safe space. They have to know that everyone there loves them and everyone there is going to, you know, be positive and upbeat with them. And like I said, the nature of sports is we're going to joke around with each other and that's fine. It just can't be about performance related things in basketball. Yeah, I love I love that so much. Our coach is listening. Go ahead and rewind the last like two minutes of what Coach Schiller just dropped right there because, I mean, that's so big. You mentioned creating a safe space, and that's gold, right? I uh, last week we were on a basketball camp in Ohio, and we were doing a ball handling game. Right, kids perform a certain series. Every time the ball would get back to a certain hand, they would get a point. We do 20 second sets. I say, hey, this is a very easy drill for you to measure your improvement. You can go home. You can do this in the basement, the driveway, whatever you want. It's going to be an easy series for you, for you to do so you can continue to get better. And I'm asking the kids what some of their scores are, right? I'm asking some scores. I'm asking some scores. One girl asked her what her score was, right? It's in front of camp. Didn't want to answer. Didn't want to answer. You know, what's your score? She says her score. You can tell she was embarrassed. And I had to reiterate what you just mentioned. I said, listen. This is a judgment-free zone. We are all here for the same reason, to get better, to have fun at bat with basketball, and to get better. Whether you're a pro player, a college player, high school player, junior high player, you're trying to win a, a district championship, or you're just trying to make the team, the reason we are here is because we enjoy basketball and we got, want to get better. It doesn't matter if you think you should have got a higher score. The point is we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to have some fun. And we live in a society where talent is glorified, where people that can already do things is glorified. And if you don't do something at a high level right away, you're a failure. And so it's important for us as adults, as role models, as coaches, to be able to consistently remind ourselves, even myself coaching and working with all these kids, I have to consistently remind myself that I need to speak that into them on a much more consistent basis so they feel that safety to go out there to do their best to make plenty of mistakes and that's fine because it's going to allow us to continue to learn and grow 
and be better in the long run. And uh, I know I just kind of took that over for a minute, but just everything you said, I was like, man, that's, that's gold. I absolutely love it. I know I need to do that more often. I think it's like most things we're all try to be aware and grow like if we're good at this when you talk about growth mindset we have a responsibility to get better too you know and like whether that's feedback from people that are inside coaching outside of coaching like both of my parents were very good in what they did industry-wise and, and had leadership roles and like they don't know anything about basketball but like it'd be great when they would come to games and you know give you that real feedback that isn't related to the basketball, you know, Hey, you overreacted to X, Y, and Z. They don't even know what it is. You know, they don't know what ball street is or anything, but there's value in those things. And if you're really trying to get better as a coach, I think it helps kids want to be better. You know, every year I went back um, and I was better than I was the year before I learned things. They knew I was at clinics. They did stuff. So when you, you know, going back to a little bit about the growth mindset, like I think how you create that safe space is we trial and error too. We make, we make failure and they see it and we move forward and we're strong enough to deal with it as we try to grow into being better at what we do too. You have a couple of quotes by uh, John Wood. Awesome. I'm going to read them out. And then I just want you to pick one or two out just to explain a little more of what it means to you. Who you are on a daily basis. Can't ask others to do what you won't. You must lead from the front and be the leader you want to be led by. What do a couple of those statements mean to you? Gosh, I think, <laughs> I think they all define like exactly what I do in coaching. You know, uh, one of the things I did a lot when I was younger is I read a lot of books from Wooden and Coach K and people that I wasn't fortunate enough to play for any of them or coach under people like that. So, you know, I, I, I think that when you look at each of those, it looks at who you are as a person. Um, and I think that, your character as a coach will be reflective into what your culture and your, your team values and your program values. You know, for me, I try very hard every day and we all fail at it to be the leader that I would want to be led by. And when I, re when I'm reflective and I'm not being that I, I realize, okay, I got to adjust some things. You know, I always, I had a phenomenal high school coach, Mark Herman uh, went to a few final fours, one of the best people I've ever known, but there's reality is like, there was things that I would have liked to have seen different as you know, my high school experience. So like, I want to make sure that I value everyone. And like the last guy at the end of my bench is just as valued as our starting, you know, our leading scorer. Um, so that's the type of leadership that I want to be led by, you know, um, you know, when you go through those different quotes, it's like leading from the front. Um, it's actually one of my former players who's now the head coach, JJ Turner, who's at Sumner high school. He doesn't remember. I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but um I think he might've still been in high school. I know he's the one that told me, but he just said, I think he won like the run and, and he just was, we were making a point. Like you can't, you, you have to lead from the front. You can't lead from the back. So you can't be at the end of the line running and yelling at everybody to run faster. It's not possible by nature. You now lost all credibility. So like when you're talking with your kids or like for me, when I would talk to my guys and let's say some of our leaders were being lazy. Well, the reality is like at some point when we're in the game, like you're being lazy in the weight room we get to the game, you're not going to want those guys to be lazy. You don't want them to listen to you. Well, they're not going to because you're, you're false leadership. You, you have to do your best to be at the front of the line and everything. Um, and front of the line isn't necessarily a physical front of the line. It's be the best work ethic, be on time, you know, do all those things consistently. So, you know, we could probably go through John Wooden's little blue book and find out that the majority of my mindsets or the way that I frame things, uh, you know, all relate back to those things because it's great teaching. And really that's what our job is, is to be, teachers that impact kids for a lifetime. You know, the subject happens to be basketball, but 
the reality is our job is to build, you know, all the kids that are with us, you know, for the rest of their lives. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, so many of our coaches are, are teachers at heart. You know, I think of, you know, three things that make up, you know, a lot of practices, teaching, the training piece, and the competing aspect of the game. And, and um, you know, the coaches that I've always loved learning from are the ones that always have more emphasis on the teaching of the game. Like we, we could go with, with or without a coach, we could compete. I could go with or without a coach and I could train. I could get my reps in, right? But if I'm around somebody who has knowledge, they're gonna give that to me so that I can be better. They're going to teach me things because they care about me. They want what's best for me and for our group. I mean, that's that's the type of people that, that I wanna be around, right? People that are gonna make me more intelligent, people that are gonna make me better people that care about me. And, um, you know, that's why I think a lot of the, the best coaches are the best teacher. You talk about John Wood man, ultimate teacher, you carry that little book around with you. You can open that thing up at any given point in time, any page, and there's going to be a nugget in there that you can take away and say, yep, I can apply that to my life today. So as we finish this out, coach, what's one thing that you are focusing a little bit more on as you have this current off season, we're, we're doing this interview in the month of June, and you're preparing for that next season and how you can have an even stronger culture next year. So as I go into like the second year, you know, one of the really interesting at IMG is I potentially could return up to four of our guys. Um, but that's not necessarily the case, right? As of now, those are who's returning, but obviously a national team may decide to take, you know, one or two of them. Um, things could always happen, but that's what we're set to have. So it's like, how do I consistently, we had a great culture this year in our group. We got together on September 20th when we kind of started to split up, although we spent the rest of the time together, like in the spring, we split up as they went to different AAUs and kind of practiced during the week. And the kids all had a great experience. The parents had a great experience. Kids got better. The key is reviewing what we did on a day-to-day basis, reviewing what the standards were and reviewing what we did. So we can try to mimic that again and see if we can have a great culture. Cause it might've just been, we had great kids I hope that it you know I had some involvement in us having a great culture so how do we for the first time ever it's not like a guarantee like when I was at Lakewood Ranch or traditional high schools you, you always knew that your culture would maintain because we'd spend the, the offseason together this will be my first offseason where I'm not with my kids all of June lifting weights in July so like how do you establish a culture when you're getting back together in September so I'm already trying to figure out better ways to do that better ways to be more efficient with that and then I think the other thing is being really reflective on making sure that the kids that are I'm now with at IMG get that same opportunity to feel like they're part of a family like we did with Mustang basketball and my director Brian Nash who's phenomenal you know preaches and wants to have that fine that family atmosphere at IMG and as people leave and come and go it's the nature of what what the business is you know that's what I want to be able to establish I want guys that graduate from IMG blue two, three, four years from now coming back and talking to these, this group, IMG blue kids saying, Hey, this is what we went through and this is what we did. And, you know, I don't know if it's possible to establish that family culture, but that's really my goal. And trying to spend the summer figuring out better ways to do that. And then the other thing I'm trying to figure out is uh, we have a seven foot seven, 16 year old. That's probably one of the more talented kids I've ever worked with Uh, unique personality, great kid. And, you know, it's like, how do you come up with plans to help maximize his ability on things he's already comfortable with, but also finding ways to challenge him so we can help him develop to be a pro, which is literally the mindset I have with all of our kids. But I know a very unique one is coming back and 
you know, I just always want to be better with helping develop, you know, him and our guys, but I know he's coming back. So very excited to help him, you know, help him develop. Yeah, you are the only uh, coach in the country in that situation specifically. <laughs> the tallest, tallest uh, high school in the country. Funny, it's like reaching out to like Donnie Jones and his staff and uh, Coach Dawkins and his staff at UCF because they had Taco um, and trying to figure out like trying to get film on what things they did and trying to watch guys like Rudy Gobert and things like that to see like even though Ollie's five inches taller, um, but like just same mindset. And, and like I said, one of the unique challenges that I really enjoy is like my job is to put these kids in a good situation to be seen, uh, but to help them develop, we got to put them, make them a little uncomfortable. You know, like we're not just going to stick Ollie under the rim. He's got to be able to move his feet. I could probably spend 30 minutes on my thoughts on how I'm trying to help Ollie <laughs> develop. Um, but needless to say, I think it's, trying to create that family culture is also just really important to me and how we can do that and establish that. Cause you know, I, I think that's, what's really special about being places uh, and having a great experience is you know, feeling connected for a lifetime. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I, I have no doubt that you'll, you'll do that really well this upcoming year because uh, you can't fake caring about somebody, right? You can hear it in this podcast, right? When you're talking about your kids, talking about your program, talking about specific players, right? You can't fake that you care, right? And so kids can feel that, right? A lot of nonverbals in there. But uh, I, I truly believe when people know that you care about them, that you want what is best for them, good things are going to happen. Doesn't mean you're going to agree. Doesn't mean there's going to not be a, a bunch of struggles throughout the, that journey, right? But at the end of the day, when that season is over, once they've graduated, they're going to look back on their basketball experience and they're going to say, man, coach cared about me, right? Coach wanted what was best for me, right? I may not have agreed with, you know, playing time or something like that. Coach had my back though, right? He wanted what, what was best for me. And that will go much, much farther than, than anything else. So I, I can't wait to touch base with you uh, down the road and kind of just kind of touch base and see how the season is going. That's going to be exciting. So, uh, Coach, we, we got to run here, but uh, thank you very much for being back on the Coach's Edge podcast. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to come on again and talk about anything you guys like to talk about. It's a great experience. And, you know, obviously you guys, you have a lot of listeners and I got a lot of positive feedback from different people. And hopefully we hear from people again. And, you know, hopefully somebody took away something from this this time. And, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. Certainly appreciate you taking the time. There's a lot of things you could be doing as coaches in, in your free time. You chose to take, you know, 40, 45 minutes or so and listen to the Coach's Edge podcast with, with Coach Schiller. I know we certainly appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to, to him, to myself. Uh, contact links are in the description below. And uh, if there's anything we can do for you, be sure to reach out. Thanks again for listening and get after today.